there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Fresh off the Raleigh rally for Ron Paul, back in studio here with Dr. Rajiv Batar for some serious advanced medicine. And you know the medicine that we apply applies to all of life, not just to your physiological body. That's why it's such a good time we have every week together, Dr. Batar. It's always good to be here, Robert. Yeah, and so if we talk about medicine and politics, that was a big part of the theme at the Raleigh Rally that we had uh, B.J. Lawson, who you may have met because he ran twice for uh, uh, Congress against uh, uh, Pierre, what's the guy's, David Price in, in North Carolina. But the, the pol- political machine, the Democratic machine, even the Republican machine, because this guy was a Ron Paul Republican, they didn't want mm-hmm. him in there. The Republicans even fought against him because he really believed in, in liberty and limited government. Now, he's established, and I did a show with him on, on Sunday on my GCN yesterday, which was fascinating, a way to establish for doctors a way they can bypass all of the third-party garbage, all of the uh, the insurance schemes, even Obamacare, to have direct relationships with patients again, you know, as a primary care focal point. And it, it separates out the distinction between legitimate insurance for catastrophe, catastrophic loss, and unexpected things versus the everyday stuff that's right now being used in just emergency room, dock-in-the-box kind of care that's seemingly unaffordable. Yeah, you know, it's a phenomenon that I think there's going to be more and more of a shift going towards primary care. Um, but again, what you know, what's the definition of primary care? Mm. You and I had a definition of primary care, meaning taking care of the first line of defense for for uh, people and their sickness and when they came down with something. But now, you know, it's like the uh, dichotomy and the definition of preventive medicine. Preventive medicine means we try to prevent disease, and yet what do we do in preventive medicine? The conventional thought process in conventional medicine is give people inoculations of vaccines and render them more susceptible to chronic disease and long-term health issues yes it's anything but preventive yeah actually it's it's incredibly non-preventive so i guess we're looking at and when i talk with dr bj lawson he's not practicing physician because he went into business he saw a disastrous medical profession was and he's a brilliant guy in pro and uh, software and everything and he saw this disaster and it's interesting because the the people the docs that are most uh, uh let's say uh, turned on by this thought it, are the ones that are holistically oriented, doing integrative things and natural things because they recognize that they can actually genuinely do p- true prevention. If they're outside of the third-party payer system where it's all controlled by AMA, uh, the, what the CPT codes. Absolutely. I mean, true prevention is not based upon a box with a definition that drives a person to a certain type of diagnosis. Prevention means doing the things that are necessary in order to um, you know, take proactive steps to do things that are necessary in order to prevent disease from setting up mm-hmm. and um, not, not, not to have a, uh, <laughs> what do they call it, a um, plug for my book. But that's mm-hmm. really what the book was designed for was the proactive steps that any individual could take without having to buy anything or purchase something from a service or information. It's just the information itself is all you need in the book in order to take those steps that are necessary to prevent 
disease, or the vast majority of diseases, I should say. But really, um, from diabetes, hypertension, um, arthritic conditions, I've had people over the last 15 years follow those steps because that's really the reason I wrote the book because it was the premise of what our clinic was based upon. Um, regardless of how serious of a condition people came in with, that was the foundation upon which they built their infrastructure in order to achieve or regain their health again. And so those steps were really designed to prevent conditions from progressing. And what we saw was actually things such as diabetes, heart, um, diabetes, hypertension, arthritic conditions actually reverse without any intervention, without even any supplementation a lot of times, just by doing some of those steps like the hydration aspect, mm-hmm. uh, like the uh, diet aspect, like uh, this, some of the uh, abstination of the vices, the fifth step. Just by implementing three or four of the steps, people saw not only a uh, reduction in the progression of the, their pathology, they actually saw a regression of that pathology. Mm. Yeah, and, and it is so common once we understand this that we would expect these things that are considered let's say anomalies spontaneous remissions miracles even and you know the miracle is a doctor that let's say outgrows the limited training that they had in in maybe the physical sciences and chemicals and starts putting it all together in that bigger picture like you do in the nine steps to keep the doctor away well i you know i'd like to say that it's really complicated but as you said robert it is so simple i mean the simplicity uh, of it is really beautiful, and in fact, we know that all universal truths are actually very simple. Nature in itself is very simple. It's intricate and balanced, but the beauty of it is that it's so simple. Well, it is, and that's what makes it accessible for everybody, and of course, that's what makes it maddening for those who have kind of uh, thrown a spell on the people to say, listen, I have the training, you don't understand, you can't understand. This is like the kind of down-talking that's made uh, the the moms, for instance, in the whole uh, mercury autism connection with vaccine link, so outraged because the docs have been telling these moms, you don't know what you're seeing. No, right. I know because the science doesn't support what you're, you know, and, and that, that's the maddening aspect. And that's where they're losing. And, they, they, and they, I think they've actually lost the whole vaccine argument. They just don't know it yet because all they have to fall back on is attacking the credibility of those who are pointing these connections out. And, and the vast majority of people already believe intuitively, uh, already recognize that mercury is bad in the vaccines. And you can easily ascertain this by asking a layperson with no special knowledge of this about mercury in vaccines. And 9 out of 10, Robert, will say, oh, well, of course, that's why they don't have mercury inside vaccines anymore. And then you have to tell them, no, they still do. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? That was like 10 years ago they took it out. <laughs> so people think that the government has already outlawed. I've had people tell me, oh, the government already outlawed that. It's amazing that the vast majority of the public already recognizes mercury's bad mm-hmm. and already believes that it is out of our systems. It's not used anymore. And same thing with the dental amalgams. People tell me all the time, oh, yeah, you know, but that's, that's, that's old, old stuff. Now, they don't do mm-hmm. that anymore. Now I have the silver fillings. And when I tell them that the silver fillings are mercury, they, they – Look at me like I'm crazy. Like, no, of course not. That you know, we know that's bad. They don't do that right. anymore. This is silver. I like tell you, silver. Doctor Batar, I met somebody. I went uh, back to uh, my friend, who's a, a toxicologist and dentist down here. She specialized, obviously, in, in removing the mercury and, and doing biocompatible things. And she invited me over to, to meet some of her patients. She does that from time to time to help them out with some homeopathy, different things. 
And we met one man who had just been in there who had uh, a kind of a tumorous lesion ad- addressed. He Basically what happened, he had a lot of mercury in his mouth. And one day after his insurance expired from his previous job, one day after they found this tumor in his neck, okay, near the, you know, the lymphatic tissue on the right side. And he was looking at me now, you know, this is, I think, had been a couple of, uh, I don't know if it was a few weeks later, he had begun some kind of uh, laser th- treatment by some alternative doctor that was shrinking it. But at the same time, I said, God must have been smiling on you, my friend, that you lost your insurance the day before they found it, because we would not be speaking today if you had the best <laughs> insurance, because well, you know, you know why. You, want, you know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, that it's so strange, and yet that that is the truth. We know that the that the uh, chemo and the radiation, how damaging it can be. In fact, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but one of the doctors that used to work for me was actually Armenian, and uh, he told me he spoke fluent Russian, and he told me of a study that was only published in the Russian language, and mm-hmm. he actually interpreted it and translated it for me. But essentially, they took two groups of people that had diagnosis of breast cancer and lung cancer and they divided the two groups uh, the two different types of cancers into two groups each they had a group of in the lung cancer and group in the breast cancer group that were told not to change anything no dietary changes no no medication no natural treatments nothing just continue doing whatever you're doing if you smoke you drank you do whatever just keep on doing it in the other group the lung cancer and breast cancer patients they conventionally treated them using the standard, uh, whatever the standard was in Russia, which did involve chemo and radiation. And they looked at outcome, and what they found was that the group had, that had no intervention, whether natural or conventional, nothing, no, not even lifestyle modification, not even dietary changes, mm-hmm. they found that that group lived more than three and a half times the group, as long as the group that was treated with the chemo and radiation. Well, yeah, it, it, it's no wonder that they didn't translate that from Russian into different languages, right? Yeah, it's a, you know, they didn't want anybody to see that. Now, in in the case of this man, I you know, come back and you know he literally you could see he was weak but gaining strength, and he had become very very rapidly understanding. He said he told me how he read all that he could read, and he had come to the same conclusion. He says, "Yeah, you're right." And he was holding a Bible in his hand. He become you know deeply grateful, right, for the for the the gift because he recognized. I, I didn't know how he would receive what I said, and I meant it sincerely. But he said, "I do, I do understand." And when people clamor for Obamacare and government intervention and insurance, it's like they know not what what they ask. Is you know the the, the the that old saying, "My my children perish for lack of knowledge," right? And they're literally asking for destruction by looking for more government intervention, more third party payer intervention, and now doctors can't do what even the the science supports that they need to be doing unless they're, let's say, courageous enough, brave enough, however we want to talk, we've talked in those terms, to stand up and say, no, I'm doing what is right by my patients, even if you come and try to attack me. That's true. Patrick Quinlan's book actually talks about uh, cachexia as the cause of death in cancer patients. Forty-two percent of the cancer patients will die because of cachexia or lack of nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so the question inevitably is what causes the death in the remaining 58% of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the cancer. It's actually the treatment. Yeah, exactly. And you've so. said it many, many times yourself uh, on this show and many other times that you and I have talked socially that you kill the person um, 
trying to kill the disease? Yeah. What's the point of killing? You're going to try to kill the disease and kill the person. What's the point uh, of mm-hmm. even trying so? Well, chemotherapeutic or radiological chicken, the game would be called. And it's like going head on two cars to see which one will swerve first. And, you know, the game is, uh, if it's even a game of odds, it's a horrible game. It's a horrific game. I mean, I think it relates to just bizarre reality TV that that's forthcoming maybe one day where they literally just say we're going to give you this toxic poison there's a man a, a chance that you might survive it <laughs> and that, you know and that's your only pathway out that's it that's it and and of course we know that's ludicrous but that is how the mass western consciousness has been hypnotized by the oncological profession and it's actually interesting that it's not just the medical profession that's hypnotized the masses but there's so many other components of this um, the economic component, you know, although this is we're, we're, the radio show is obviously about advanced medicine Mondays that we do every Monday. But part of this is, you know, looking at the same uh, methodology that's used to hypnotize, as you said, or or confuse the masses on the issues of health and prevention and and wellness are actually used in the economic sector as well. In fact. Um, the the global rife that's right now going on is all because of this same delusion um, and illusion that's been created by the powers that be, and uh, that's actually the link that I sent you that I want you to listen to. Maybe we can cover that next next week. Yeah, it is fascinating. I've been obviously we've been keeping up on the economic goings on, the political goings on. That's why. You know, when I'm invited to speak at some of these events that are more political or economically oriented, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to bring people that are interested in one area or aspect of life and bring them to that more health-principled understanding of how it all fits together, that there are natural laws that govern the universe and that even govern economics and politics, etc. And that's the thing that what holistic is. It's not just about a natural uh, replacement for your drug. It's literally looking at life differently and understanding that there are principles that guide us and guide it, and there are natural laws that operate. We just need to learn from and apply. Very well said. That's exactly right. It's it's a way of living. It's not just a way of replacing a a, a drug or a therapy. Mm-hmm. It's it's a way of living. That's exactly it. And that was very well said, Robert. Thank you so much. It's coming from you. It means even more. <laughs> Dr. Batar is with me as he is every week. Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check it all out. All the links are up there at robertscottbell.com, 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. Hey, don't forget to vote. The Alive Foundation has got it up there, and we are nominated for Best Radio Show. Uh, so we've got those links up as well. Say thanks to all our sponsors. We're going to take a break. Come right back with more Dr. Batar after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Advanced Medicine Monday continues here with Dr. Batar on the Robert Scott Bell Show, having a great time as we always do. Dr. Batar, you know, having been up at the Raleigh, Raleigh for Ron Paul, of course, that's up in the research triangle. So unlike a lot of areas of, of the country, they haven't been hit as hard. Like home prices have only gone down like about 5%. 
Whereas in South Florida and different areas of the country, you could be, see 40, 50, or 60% drop. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, a weird anomaly. But at the same time, there were people there from all walks of life. Some that were very wealthy, some that weren't. Some were students. In fact, a couple of guys from India I met. Their families immigrated, emigrated from India, and they were totally on the message of liberty. But they talked to me about this, and they said it's not in our culture. It's a very, very uh, socialistic, communistic caste system. And they were sort of frightened by it at first, but as they began to explore it, they had to acknowledge the honesty and integrity of, of living in a system where liberty is the foundation. It really is. And I think that some of the most passionate uh, Americans that I've come across uh, are first-generation or second-generation uh, Americans. In fact, it's interesting because, you know, Robert, I came here when I was eight years old. Uh, I was born in England. And um, so I'm technically a first-generation Yes, person. But whenever I'm talking, uh, it, it was actually funny. I, I, this happened probably uh, it was last week. I was in New Hampshire. I was supposed to meet the governor of New Hampshire and some of the senators. And um, one of the guys there that I met uh, found out about my military history. And he says, "He goes, no, no, which uh, military were you with?" And I said, "With the army." He goes, "But I mean, the U.S. military?" <laughs> and I, I said, "Yes, the U.S. military." And then I realized. You know, he he's looking at me and he's thinking, okay, you know, Middle Eastern uh, name, and so he may have yeah. thought that I was with some other military before I moved to the United States. But um, I have actually had that experience maybe a half a dozen times where people have asked me specifically what military. So when I've said that, yeah, I've served with the you know in the Republic of South Korea, they're like, well, you were in the Korean military. I was like, no, I was with the U.S. Army in, <laughs> and I was stationed in Korea. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting phenomenon actually that the. At the, the aspect of freedom and the valuation of freedom, I think, is more appreciated by first-generation uh, citizens and mm-hmm. also f- m- even more so by people who have served in the military. I think there's a greater appreciation for what we have in our country for those people that have served overseas and have actually seen firsthand how much better we have it compared to other people on the planet. I've often said that I think it is probably one of the best things if we had a mandatory one-year or two-year service that all young adults have to serve. And and many countries actually have that. You have to serve your country for a year or two in the armed services, males or females. And just to get a better appreciation, I bet you we wouldn't have a lot of the uh, social issues in our Mm -hmm. society today if that was a mandatory requirement of everybody. Yeah, the only concern, of course, I have is one of of liberty. I like the idea of exchange programs, volunteerism. I had the great fortune of traveling as a young person around the world, meeting people, young people like myself, and we have forged lifelong friendships that supersede any garbage coming through the news or politics saying, these people are evil. And that tends to keep me open to meet people and and find out who they are as humans, as souls, as opposed to as some kind of label that other other people want to slap on them. Uh, I'm all for the aspect of people having the right to choose, Robert, and I guess it would make it a lot more attractive to have manual, you know, one-year manual, two-year manual service requirement if we didn't have bases in 700 and some yes. different locations outside yeah. the United States and we actually, you know, weren't the... Policemen of Robert. the world for pretending exactly. to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What we're learning is that uh, many... People have basically abandoned the Constitution. They did so a long time ago. In fact, it's fascinating history that is coming out. It's literally all the things we're trying to be suppressed in our own history now coming out. We have different perspectives on on it than based on what we were taught as young people. I mean, you know, again, being here in America, uh, I think like I'm. F- 
first or second generation on one side, third or fourth on another. But we were completely propagandized to a history that wasn't exactly as it was given to us. Absolutely. It's uh – you even look at the American Indian history and what we learned about Custer and his last stand and actually the atrocities that we as a nation committed upon the you know, people that were here prior to us. Mm-hmm. But our history that we're taught, you know, cowboys and Indians, you know, Indians always the bad guys and cowboys always the good guys. And yet it was it was the cowboys, it was us that did most of the atrocities. It wasn't the Indians. So mm-hmm. I think there's always that altered perception of history that is created in order to make us seem, uh, you know, when I say us, I mean our country seem mm-hmm. always in, in, portrayed in a, in a more positive light. Yeah. And, and, you know, the guys from India that I was talking to, it was interesting that they said, you know, of all the places in the world that I'd rather be, I still think America is the place to be. And I was curious because knowing what we know and we are very self-reflective, I believe in an open and honest and sometimes critical way about our own country here. Uh, that they said, despite it all, we think America is the best place to be because you understand, at least in, in the heart of what you're supposed to, this idea of freedom. And that is so foreign to most countries that even our so-called democracies, it is very different. So as I've even thought of, uh, Dr. Batar, you know, should I stay with my family? Should I, we stay and, and stand our ground for liberty, even though as people abandon it and the government abandons it? Should we leave? And I'm thinking, you know, where else do you go? Who has a tradition that couldn't be restored easier? And I don't mean it easy in the sense, of, oh, it's just, just it's wake up one day, it'll be restored. But I mean, that has a basis for it that we can reestablish. Well, Robert, I think my, my viewpoint is different on that. Um, uh-huh. Having been in many different countries now um, and traveled for uh, giving lectures and prior to that in the military, I actually would have to disagree with that. And the reason simply is that what these people said that nobody knows better than us. I think that if we pre-qualify that nobody knows that better than the American people, mm-hmm. I would concur with that, but not the American government. Yes, no, American I, I, government, that's yeah, a great it, distinction, it, an important distinction to make. Absolutely, because you know many of these countries that are evolving democracies, their governments do understand the value, but our government seems to have either one taken it for granted or two just completely ignored it or forgotten it. But the people, yes, I would I would have to agree with that. There's been this um, big uproar about the possibility of Chinese troops being on U.S. soil and, and you know, possibility of uh, martial law in the United States and this and that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that when I've heard these types of stories and, you know, some would say, well, that's, you know, just ludicrous and there's no possible way and, you know, you're a conspiratorial person if you think that way because there's no way that anything would ever happen. Well, <clears throat> I, I would agree with those people because very simply the facts of this, there's no nation on the planet Earth that has as many citizens, law-abiding citizens, mind you, that are walking around with weapons. And yours truly is one of them. I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so in other words, if there ever was something like that, how do you, t- how do you deal with a population that from its entire constitutional basis over 200 years ago, that one of those, um, one of those constitutional rights is the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. And many Americans proactively do so. And when I, even my own family, my own mother, you know, was like, well, are you crazy? Why would you get a gun? Why would you do this? You know, all the crime and everything that's committed, you know, and then people have all these guns and guns kill so many people. Mm-hmm. I have to remind her that guns are like one 
compared to doctors, you know, the chance of you dying at the hands of your doctor is like yes. 7,000 7, times that of dying from a handgun. Yes. But there's a reason that that was a constitutional uh, right mm-hmm. that was given. That's a reason that it's one of the one of the um, the fundamental. I mean, this, exactly. Yeah. And and that's those type of things I've never really worried about. I don't think that that would ever happen. I think the U.S. government would, um, you know, you ever get to that point, um, there's going to be another civil war. And, and I really don't think that we'll ever get to that point because we are the freest nation from that perspective. But the appreciation mm-hmm. of freedom uh, only goes as much to people that have something to measure it again. But when you've always lived in light and never been in darkness, it's hard to imagine that there is a dark side. And that, yeah. I believe, is what's happened. We've become complacent as a nation. And, you know, you call it, what, what do you refer to them as? Uh, sheep? Um, Sheeple? Yeah, sheeple, yeah. Yeah, yeah the That's sheeple. That's exactly what's happened. Well, and we need, as you said, if we haven't been in the dark for a long time, we've got to figure out what that's about so we can appreciate what it's like to be in sunlight. And I, no, no doubt those that have lost their health through even ignorance uh, have really, those that have regained it have appreciated, and as I do, certainly the journey that I had to go through. So it's hard one, and no one can tell me otherwise because it's deeply embedded into my experience. And I think that the uh, Jefferson said, you know, a revolution every 20 years, for instance, might be necessary. And this is kind of the thing that we're, we're in the midst of to appreciate once again what what it takes to have liberty. And it's not just bestowed upon you and you just kind of hang out and enjoy it. You literally have to be vigilant to defend it at all times. And, you know, there's no more time in history that we know of that handguns or guns have been purchased at the rate that they're being purchased right now. So people are very concerned and wary about the th- the final threat to their freedom. So you're right. In many ways, it'll be a foolhardy effort if the government tries to declare martial law. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. There's a lot of suspicion with the NDAA, the passage of Obama saying we can assassinate, we can target U.S. citizens, we can declare them terrorists without due process. So a lot of people are step- stepping up and going, uh-uh, I am going to defend myself. The quote comes to mind, and I don't know who said it, but the vigilance is the eternal price of freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is one of the problems, I think, in our society that we have not been vigilant. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about some this and more after this break. And in, in fact, uh, something other countries are doing, they get it more than we get it here, where we have adopted corporatism and the bureaucratic oligarchy. It has to do with genetically modified foods. Could Peru be more advanced than America on this issue? Stand by. We're coming right back with Dr. Batar to find out. The Robert Scott Show. Dr. Batar, we, we talk about the need for good nutrition. Certainly nothing in the realm of good nutrition would include genetically modifying the food the way that Monsanto and others have done. Yet here in this country, this is where I'm really embarrassed as an American that we would just roll over to these global corporations and go, yeah, yeah, sure, you can monkey with creation. Put any kind of seeds you want. Put any pesticides you want. Engineer them in. And the people still are going, well, there is an uprising, but it seems to be not in America. It's in Peru. Peru. 
Well, when you brought up the you know aspect of should I stay or should I go type of thing, you know, yeah. just a, well, th- these are the reasons that I would leave the United States because of mandatory uh, vaccinations and mm-hmm. modification of food items, whether it's irradiating the food or genetically modifying them. Um, and as you know, Robert, this is part of my toxicity. The sixth toxicity is yes. foods, not what's in the foods, because that really is covered by the first and second toxicity of metals and persistent organic pollutants. But what they do to food, the irradiation food, the genetic modification of food and other types of manipulation off the foods, um, what are the implications on our physio- on, on the biological system? I shouldn't even mm-hmm. say our physiology, on the biological system. Any entity, whether mm-hmm. it's horses, dogs, cows, humans eating this stuff, what, what are the implications? We just don't know. Yeah, and not to, to make a, a, a bad joke in this, but in one sense I'd say if you are in Peru right now, start digging bunkers because clearly the U.S. military is going to come down on you hard for Monsanto because we've got to invade Peru now to get them to accept GMOs. Well, it's it's the weapons of mass destruction. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, you have to be politically correct. The reason we go anywhere is because of weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, we have to bring them to you. We want you to have weapons of mass destruction, so that we can invade you because of those weapons of mass destruction. Except exactly. <laughs> in this case, Doctor Batar, the weapons of mass destruction are Monsanto's GMO seeds. Yep. And this is actually one of the few areas where the rest of the world will be very outspoken. In fact, even in even within our own country, like Hawaii, mm-hmm. in Hawaii they brought in, Monsanto opened up a area um, where they just recently had bought some land and they planted genetically modified corn. And just within Maui itself, the number of people that were outraged, in fact, one of our friends that lives there says that they he went to a dinner and in the dinner his uh, girlfriend is very outspoken. And they're, they were there with the president of this particular facility for Monsanto and his girlfriend's a uh, nurse, retired nurse. And she just ripped into this guy and didn't even give him an edge to respond, just land blasted him. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not just like, in other words, it's a very common thing that people understand how bad this is. Yeah, it's like the only way you can't be protesting this is if you're completely unaware of what it is, because the people that are are up in arms. I mean, in California, they're just trying to get as many signatures as they can to to promote the mandatory labeling of GMOs so that least consumers would have the choice. And, of course, the, the manufacturers like Monsanto know that would be the death knell for GMOs because nobody would consciously want to buy something genetically modified unless they're already on multiple medications approved by the FDA. <laughs> well, isn't there some type of uh, law that was passed recently, Robert, and correct me if I'm wrong, where where genetically modified food should not and cannot be distinguished by other foods and that they wouldn't be labeled? Wasn't there some type of Yeah, at, at some level, the USDA is playing a part in this, saying that, well, it's basically the same as regular food. Well, if it is, then why do you need a patent for it? You know, it's like, exactly. come on, man. But that is the protection racket that government is playing. That's where, you know, when you make the distinction between the American government, the American people, it's very important, as I would with any government and any people, because we, I think, you know, part of what's going to happen here with the crumbling of all, all these global institutions and government, on some level, there's going to be a mass exodus away from believing that government ever tells you the truth. 
ever is doing something for your own benefit. Because there's still people that are struggling mightily against this awareness and saying, no, 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 the government's here to help you, and they're, they, they've got to help you with medicine, everything else. One day, because of all of this happening, it's going to be in mass the people, and I don't mean there's going to be utopia, because I don't necessarily believe Earth is for that, but there's going to be a massive awareness, awakening, consciousness shift because of the suffering that government has been the cause of most of this. Well, Robert, I think that day's already happened. I think that day occurred a couple of years ago, and I think already people realize that. I think that's already occurred. Yeah? Yeah, I think that people already don't believe that the government's here for the, for the benefit of the people and that the government's out to look out for its own. And we see this every, everywhere. I believe that people now, mm-hmm. if you took 100 people, if you took one of these, these popular polls that they're doing to see who's going to win in the primaries and who's going to win in the in, in the actual elections <clears throat> they talk about you know obama against so and so if you just take a poll of people and say how many of you truly believe that the government is here to benefit us i bet you you'd have 90 percent plus that would say the government's you know the problem well as as evidence of that i would hope our friends down under where you just were and i just had last uh last hour a gemma bond on you know from mums not having chemo and I think you talked to Laura Bond. She might have even interviewed right. you. Uh, but in Australia, there's a story here on Natural News that just uh, came out earlier in the month. But, oh, my gosh, Australian children to be sterilized without parental consent under new eugenics law? Come yeah. on. Amazing. And I think that I think we are um, – the United States is the – it's almost like you know, if the United States can do it and get away with it, then maybe we can get away with it too. And I think more and more countries are starting to commit these atrocities – Give me one justification to do that. There one is, justification for any government to pass any kind of law to, one, violate the parent and, two, the child's right, and then sterilize these children. Yeah. Well, the, the sterilization is happening much more subtly in the West here, outside of Australia, right here in the United States, with the promotion of the vaccine paradigm, with the promotion of genetically modified organisms. We're seeing such an extent, even with pesticide use and reduction of fertility for both male and female, that the eugenics, they don't even need an overt law to, like, let's say, I'm going to sterilize you by surgery or chemistry. I mean, they're literally doing it every day by people acquiescing to quack medicine in, t- in, in, in the guy of vaccines, for instance. Absolutely. You know, vaccines, the antidepressants, the angiolytics, the, uh, all the different hormonal manipulations that they're using with the increase in xenoestrogenic and phytoestrogenic components, the, the components that are leaching out of plastics in our food, in our water. It's amazing. And you're absolutely right. That is a form, a very subtle and yet very effective form of sterilization. Mm. That, that is the point, I think, in making, and, and it was made so well by Dr. Carolyn Dean when she wrote that book, uh, Death by Modern Medicine. If you realize that 784,000 Americans, not 100,000, not 200 or three, uh, but you know, three-quarters of a million plus, are dying due to FDA-sanctioned approved methods, medicines, etc., you realize we're already practicing some form of eugenics and population reduction or control by official means without actually calling it that. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the Orwellian way of saying this is what we call health care. Yeah, and it actually brings up something very interesting, the, a movie that my wife and I went to watch yesterday. It's, it's actually very airy how what you just said, mm-hmm. the Orwellian nature of this and uh, the premise of this movie, which has become very, very popular. Actually, it's a trilogy that was published already, 
And uh, you may have heard of it, the the Hunger Games. Yeah, this was like the number one movie, huge box office this past weekend. People are talking about it everywhere. I haven't had a chance to go out and see it. So maybe we can do our first uh, 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 advanced medicine movie review with you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. It did break all the records for this. It became the number seventh movie of all time. Uh, as Opening. far as revenue and yeah. midnight screenings, but the other shows were all sequels. So it was the Twilight sequel and the three Twilight movies and then the three Harry Potter series. But this particular one was the first one that's a non-sequel movie, and they do have two or three other movies planned after this. But what's interesting is that the Harry Potter thing, you know, that was a, a work of fiction, mm-hmm. child witchcraft, etc. And then you've got the vampire movies, again, fiction, you got a... Um, bunch of teenagers that are becoming vampires. But this movie has very, very deep-seated political connotations. And uh, it's essentially futuristic, and uh, I don't want to give away the movie to anybody that hasn't seen it, but uh, there are movie theaters with 16, 18 screens that had only this movie playing. In fact, where we went wow. to see it, they showed 25 showings of the movie just yesterday, and we you know, caught one of them. And when we got in there, it was like one of the later ones. It was packed. I mean, absolutely so, packed. So, Dr. Batar, without giving away too much, obviously, when you do a movie review, you got to give away something. What is the phenomenon? What is it about this that is so compelling and has got people talking? What was your perspective with your wife in seeing this? The, it's a futuristic movie, and basically the government is now – they call it the capital, and they have 12 outlying districts. And each district has to give up a girl and a boy every year – that go in and it's a it's a basically like a reality TV where all the districts view this and it's a competition. The only difference is that there's only one person at the end that's left standing every year, and um, they have to compete to the death. It's almost like you're giving um, going back to the Aztec times and the Mayan times when they sacrificed to the gods. Wow. One person. Well, this is like uh, to to remind people that this was what the atrocities that man committed and created this big war. So now you must give up a boy and a girl from your uh, districts to compete in the Hunger Games. And it's really the political component of it. I know that some people may disagree with me, but the political component of it reminded me of today. And the reason it's so popular. Remember, this is this is a book that was written by uh, author who writes for Nickelodeon who writes children's and young adult books. Wow. And it is a phenomenon that's taken over in the younger adult community. It is amazing. The preteen and the teenage, that's where the, that's what the uh, it sounds, main it basis sounds per, of pretty, pretty horrific, though, for that age group to, to read this. Or is there something that you can ge- glean from this that is more uplifting and instructive for them? Oh, absolutely. It's very, very uplifting in the sense that even while trying to survive and in this uh, post-apocalyptic time um in the desperate survival of fight for survival the humanity that comes out in the heroine and how she deals with the situation that she's in it it's a it just gives a lot of perspective to our current situation and how there is how it's important to maintain your humanity but dealing with the inhumane uh, aspect mm-hmm. of what's going on in this particular movie on a lesser scale i think it's going on in our nation and it's more subtle not only in our nation but globally it's a subtle thing like you said it may not be as overt as going out and sterilizing children um but what we're doing it in a subtle way and the guys of helping you with medicine and vaccines and, and the exactly. people 
are still exactly. duped and convinced. Exactly. Well, this is fascinating. Let's talk about a little bit more of this and some other uh, topics to wrap up the show today here with Dr. Rasha Batar. Always a fascinating discussion. As you know, we apply these principles and everything. Why not movies as well? Stay with us. Lots more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show after this. Through the power of radio, it's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batar's got me intrigued to go see The Hunger Games now. I I don't get out to movies much either, but uh, okay, I think I'm going to do that, and I'll report on my findings as well. And any of you that have seen it and have a comment, review of it, give us a call, 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. Also, reviews of The Robert Scott Bell Show. Go to the Alive Foundation. I've got the link up in today's show notes. Vote for The Robert Scott Bell Show. We could be ranked the best health show in the nation. How cool would that be? And so we'll get that word out to everybody as well. We appreciate your support here very much, and we appreciate Dr. Batar as well. Thank you for being here as always. Well, thanks, Robert. I'll tell you, the Hunger Games, from a political standpoint and the mm-hmm. popularity it's enjoying among the younger population, you know, the, the pre-teen and the teen population, I think um, forebodes not so well for the U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not so good. Not so good. But listen, we got to cover some stuff because we talked in in terms of uh, Australia looking to do sterilization on children that they simply don't like or don't feel are worthy. But here's another way that they've, let's say, set the stage for poor fertility rates and other problems. Longevity. No, no longevity. Lower lifespans. The cholesterol issue. A new story now coming out in the science observation realm. Low, bad cholesterol, right? They all call it bad. LDL, low-density lipoprotein. The low levels of the bad cholesterol may be linked to cancer. Well, it's actually not just the low levels of LDL, but it's low cholesterol, low LDL, low uric acid levels. These all have been observations that I've made over the last 15 years that they are indicative of chronic disease, not just cancer, but Mm -hmm. a serious type of chronic disease. If you look at the profiles for the lipid profiles as well as uric acid and some of these other components, when you look at a chemistry, there is only an upper limit that's concerning. Mm -hmm. There is no lower limit. So in other words, when you look at cholesterol, they say it shouldn't be up above this height. Right. This level, but they never have anything where it shouldn't be below a certain level. And what I have observed is that when these lipid levels, especially the LDLs and especially uh, total cholesterol, if it's very low, what I'm saying very low, like in the 30s, 20s, mm-hmm. um, if they're very low or uric acid levels are very low, it is always indicative of something serious. Cancer is one of them, uh, MS, systemic lupus erythematosus, mm-hmm. myasthenia gravis, those types of conditions. And it's not something new to me and to anybody that's actually treated any chronic disease for an extended period of time. But it is interesting that it's finally being reported in conventional media. Yeah, but of course, this this Dr. David Friedman, chief of heart failure services at North Shore Plainview Hospital in Plainview, New York, says that statins used for LDL reduction shouldn't be stopped if there is an appropriate use to lower heart disease risk. Well, he needs to catch up with the with the literature because the heart disease risk and the triglyceride and the mm-hmm. cholesterol issue is all tied into the hyperinsulinic response and the X syndrome and you know that's been for the last five, six, seven years they've talked about how actually the insulin is a predictor towards cardiovascular disease and not the lipids. 
Yeah, you mentioned something interesting to me because uric acid is something I'm familiar with having to deal with it homeopathically very regularly and dealing with not only gout but many arthritic inflammatory conditions. It's a metabolic waste product. It's a normal thing. Our bodies know what to do with uric acid, but if we go to excess, we may not process, the liver may not process it as well, and it gets thrown into other areas of the body that can cause inflammation, including the cardiovascular system. So when you say too low, explain to everybody what you mean by that. Well, as you said, it's a byproduct of metabolism, so it's a waste product. But when your waste product is low, there's something wrong. Uh, we talk about it being too high. Yes. But if it's too high, that means you, there's revving of the engine or the, or the metabolic rate is higher and something's going on, so the uric acid level is too high. But if it's too low, it's kind of like body temperature. If body temperature is too high, we call it a fever and we try to treat it, whereas the fever is actually a good thing because it's showing that your immune system is intact. But what happens when your body isn't able to mount a fever or even worse? What if yes. your body is chronically cold? Well, what happens to a person right before they die? They get cold. Okay, so this is a... Uh, not to be funny here, but a, part, a dead body is a cold body. And so when somebody's getting closer to death, hypothyroidism, their thyroids aren't working as well. That's one of the indications that things are slowing down and things aren't revving up like they should be. But uh, the lack of the ability to mount a fever even in itself indicates a, a depression of the immune system. So when you're looking at uric acid, for example, if it's high, it means there's a greater overturn of the metabolism. But when it's low, that means your metabolism isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing because there's not sufficient waste product being produced. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're not looking at the level of waste product as being good or bad. We're looking at the fact that the waste product is low, indicating that the metabolism isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not revving at the level that it's supposed to be revving at. So things are slowing down. Why are they slowing down? And in my observation, it's always a precursor to some type of serious chronic disease. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant uh, uh, perspective in addition, as they say, wow, look, low, too much low LDL. How do you say too much low LDL? But low L- this is the great evil. They've said low-density lipoproteins they are going to kill everybody heart disease. You know, this idea that God created this bad and good in terms of your body's chemistry, it's, it's like... It's absurd. Yeah. Absolutely. It's even... I can't even believe that people would actually believe something that absurd. Mm. Yeah, but I appreciate the uric acid perspective, too. I, I haven't, uh, in, in early years of working with this, I haven't found many people with excessively low, but it's, a, it's an interesting thing to observe and look at metabolism in that regard. We often would use Rust toxicodendron, which is the homeopathic po- poison ivy, and other things that would ha- help to gather the excess uric acid. And some use botanicals like the cherry juice concentrate in that regard. But uh, to have it too low, interestingly enough, could be another metabolic issue. Absolutely. And it's not that I've observed it that much, Robert, but mm-hmm. I've observed it enough and in people mm-hmm. that are actually walking, talking, that seem to be normal. But I see this and I'm concerned. And my observation is that within six months to a year, those people end up coming down with something very, very difficult to deal with. In other words, they yeah. came to us with something something problematic. We we're getting them better, but I'm seeing this marker. I'm trying to figure out what does it mean. You know, in the beginning, I never used to really worry about it because I really didn't know sure. what it meant, and that it, it's never been defined as being something to be concerned about. But invariably, it led to something downstream. So I haven't seen it that often lately, and that's because we do certain things. I'd say in the last five years, I haven't really observed it as much, but that's because we've started. Uh, you know, remember that back then it was only three toxicities we were dealing with. Now I've right. taken it to the seven level. Way, toxicity. way more. Listen, if anybody wants to learn more, we're out of time here today with Advanced Medicine Monday, but Dr. Batar's book is a sensation all over the world bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. It's available all over the place, and we've got links to it at robertscottbell.com. 
Dr. Batar, always a great honor, privilege, pleasure to be with you. And, of course, to remind everybody before we wrap up every day here that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.